What is it that distinguishes a Christian from a non-Christian? If it's a belief that Jesus is the Son of God, the majority of Americans are Christians. Poll numbers vary, and beliefs about Jesus are sometimes contradictory, but it appears that approximately two-thirds of all Americans believe that Jesus is God. However, is believing Jesus to be the Son of God what makes a person a Christian? Maybe, maybe not. Is it a, sure, I believe it, everyone believes it kind of response with no thought about the implication of what it means? Or is it a life-changing conviction? It would be wonderful if the majority of Americans had that second kind of belief, but I don't think the evidence points in that direction. So what is it? that distinguishes a Christian from a non-Christian? Is it membership or active involvement in a Christian church? And I use that word in its universal application to all denominations, fellowships, and factions of the church. If that's the case, even though church membership across the board is in decline, the majority in America would still be Christians. But as Keith Green used to say, sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in McDonald's makes you a hamburger. (laughs) So what is it that distinguishes a Christian from a non-Christian? Is it doctrinal purity? If it is, those outside the circle who agree with us would surely be excluded However, as we've often noted, we are all brothers in error. None of us can realistically claim to have a perfect understanding of everything in the Bible. So it's arrogant and extremely judgmental to define a Christian by our doctrinal positions. So again I ask, what is it that distinguishes a Christian from a non-Christian? The answer that many would probably come up with is that it is simply having Christ in your life. But what does it actually mean to have Christ in your life? And how do you really know if you have him in your life or not? What Paul exhorts us to do in our text for today may help us answer Those questions. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You know Christ is in your life if you have the peace of Christ ruling in your heart, 
the word of Christ dwelling within and the name of Christ reflected in everything you say and do. So, is Christ in your life? To find out, you need to first look into your heart and see if the peace of Christ rules there. Verse 15 again. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. When Christ comes into your life, he brings peace. That's one of the best ways to know that he's there. That does not mean, however, that there will be no conflicts or struggles in your life after you invite him in, that all your problems will disappear, everything will be wonderful, and everyone will suddenly love you and no longer disagree with you. In fact, the primary focus of the peace that Christ brings is not directed at relationships between men. The peace Christ brings is primarily focused on the relationship between God and man. What Christ offers us is peace with our Creator. A way for our sins to be forgiven and to remove the alienation that separated us from Him. If we're at peace with our Creator, we will be at peace with who we are, why we are here, and where we are going. We'll have an understanding of life and we'll be at peace with the ultimate questions of life. And that peace will enable us to deal with the conflicts and struggles and problems of life. We won't lose our bearing. No matter what's happening, we'll be able to sing, It is well with my soul. So even though the peace of Christ is primarily focused on our relationship with God, it will affect our relationships with people. We'll draw upon the peace Christ brings to respond as he would, to turn the other cheek, and to go the extra mile. Now, that doesn't guarantee peace because all parties in a conflict have to come to agreement in order for there to be peace. But as Paul said in Romans 12:18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace. With all men. The peace of Christ will enable us to do our part. And it will result in peace between men if those involved will allow him to be the umpire in their relationship. If they will allow him to blow the whistle, to call time out, offsides, or unnecessary roughness. I suppose that illustration really shocked you, didn't it? <laughs> I have grandkids. I hear this stuff. <laughs> Obviously, that should be the case within the church. It's the peace of Christ that enables us to keep playing as a team. Nothing should be allowed to divide the body of Christ, and nothing will if we let him umpire the game. If we have Christ in our life, we've got an umpire who can keep the peace between God and man and between men who have Christ in their life. And for that, we can be thankful.
If Christ is in our life, we'll live in a way that makes peace a possibility. And we can live in such a way if the word of Christ richly dwells within us. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. If Christ is in your life, the word of Christ should richly dwell within. It should be at home. That's what it means to dwell The word of Christ should be at home in our hearts. It should be a welcome guest, one we invite in often. And how does it get in? Obviously, we read it. To say you have Christ in your life and never read his word is ridiculous. It would be like inviting someone into your home and then gagging them so they can't speak. His word must richly dwell in our lives, and reading is the primary way to get it in. As you know, many of us have committed to reading through the Bible this year again. All the chronological Bibles I offered were taken, and several told me they had purchased one themselves, either as a physical book or an e-book. I even had someone ask me to hold her accountable and make sure she was keeping up. And I love what Scott said. Or should I say Scotty? (laughs) He said when he sees Jesus, he doesn't want to have to tell him he never bothered to read his book. Right, Scott? Yeah. When I see Jesus, I don't want to have to tell him I never bothered. I was too busy to read his book. Reading is obviously one way to get the word of Christ within. But it's not the only way. Paul also mentions teaching and admonishing. Teaching refers to imparting facts and the positive instruction that builds up faith. And most of us do need to be taught. We can't get it all by ourselves. You know, even with study Bibles and the Internet, we still need someone to help guide us in our study of God's Word. And if Christ's Word is going to richly dwell within, it's going to require a lot of teaching. You must regularly go where His Word is taught And you must avail yourselves of opportunities to learn. It's also going to require admonishing by the word. Admonishing refers to the corrective function of God's word. If God's word is in our life, it will change us, direct us, correct us. And we do need others to occasionally point out needed correction from God's word. Paul says we should be teaching and admonishing one another. We all need it, preacher included. And it should be done with much wisdom. God's word is the source of wisdom, and it must be taught and applied 
with much wisdom if it's to richly dwell within. Paul then goes on to say something that's a bit confusing. He adds with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, I don't believe that means I should sing my sermon this morning. For that, you can be thankful. Obviously, Paul is not saying the only way we should teach and admonish is through song. But we can teach and admonish through song. The Word of Christ can certainly richly dwell within us through music. I don't know how many times I found myself singing, Oh, to be like thee, in my head all week. Music can be a powerful instrument for teaching and admonishing for good and for evil. So we must pay close attention to what kind of music we let in. And Paul does specify the value of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I don't think he's suggesting that that's the only kind of music we should listen or sing. Nor is he ruling out instrumental worship or instrumental music and worship as, as some would insist. He's simply given examples of good music that can be used to instruct and admonish. I don't believe his distinctions are hard and fast. Psalms, no doubt, refer to the Old Testament songs we find in the book of Psalms. Hymns are probably songs of praise that are directed to God and Christ. Spiritual songs might be sacred songs that focus on our relationship with God, our our feelings and aspirations, rather than songs directed toward Him. And they might even be spontaneous songs that simply flow out of the spirit that's in our heart. The bottom line is that if Christ is richly dwelling in our life, his presence will be made audible through singing. You won't be able to hold it back. Singing will come from thankful hearts. To have Christ in your life means to have the peace of Christ ruling in your heart, to have the word of Christ richly dwelling within, and to be doing everything in the name of Christ. Verse 17. And what you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. When we invited Christ into our lives, we took his name, Christian. We said, I am now a Christian. We became his representatives on earth, and we publicly acknowledged that fact. We confessed him before men, and we took on his name. Everything we say and do is therefore a reflection on the name of Christ. And that's a pretty heavy responsibility. Everything we say is to be in the name of Christ. Everything we do is to be in the name of Christ. We are His representatives on earth. And since we are his representatives, we must always consider what he would do 
if he were here in the flesh? How would he respond to whatever it is we're facing? Even better, what did he do when faced with similar circumstances? If his word is richly dwelling within, we will know. And if he is actually living within us, that is what we will say and do. And everything we say and do will be an act of thanksgiving to God. It won't be an obligation or a legalistic expectation. It will be an expression of gratitude for what we have in Him. Do notice that all three verses end with thanksgiving. Be thankful. With thankfulness in your hearts, giving thanks to him. If Christ is in your heart, you will be thankful. You'll live a life of thanksgiving with eyes turned inward, not upon yourself, but upon Christ living within you. You'll look to him for assurance of your standing before the Father. And allow him to be the umpire in any conflicts that may come. You will be in his word, regularly taught and admonished. You'll express your gratitude in song and in everything you say and do. That's what you will do if Christ is in your life. That is what distinguishes a Christian from a non-Christian. We are the ones looking to Jesus, turning our eyes upon him. And as his representatives on earth, we want everyone to turn their eyes upon Jesus. But the world will never do so until they can see the difference he makes in our life. So let's make sure our eyes are turned upon Jesus and let's make certain that everyone can tell.